If you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have, turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Let's go way back there to the beginning, or close to the beginning. Not the very beginning, but close to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. I want to read to you the first few verses, and then I have a, uh, just a simple thought that I want to bring to you this morning. Genesis chapter 3. Shouldn't take you long to find it. Open your Bible, turn a couple pages, and you're there. Genesis chapter 3, be, uh, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree. Excuse me. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? I want to stop there and I want you to remember. Where art thou will you pray with me heavenly father lord we just humbly come before you here this morning we thank you lord for the good day and for the many blessings we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning to worship you in spirit and truth thank you lord for each one you sent our way thank you lord for the roof you put over our head the nation that we live in the freedom that we have to, to openly gather here we thank you lord for each one who fought died sacrificed and bled so that we can have this, uh, this freedom. Uh, but we give you every bit of the glory because you alone are worthy of it. And as thankful as we are for all of those things, we are, uh, we are so very, very thankful. We're even more thankful that you gave your only begotten son. That you sent him to die on Calvary's cross so that we might be made right with you, so that we could be reconciled with you, so that we might have a home in heaven. So Lord, let us never forget that. Let us, uh, my prayer this morning is, is that we wouldn't uh, take that for granted, that we wouldn't take it lightly, uh, that, and that we would always, always, always give you the praise and the glory, that we'd recognize we're not worthy of it, but you've done it anyway. And we'd always give you the praise and glory that you alone deserve. And Lord, my prayer as we go forward here this morning is that you would continue to bless this church, that you would bless this congregation. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, um, bless your word as it continues to go forth here this morning. 
Pray, Lord, that you would just move upon the hearts and the minds of each one that is here, that no one would leave here today lost. None would leave here um, to go back out and wander in the wilderness. My prayer this morning is, is that every single person here, before they leave here today, would have a personal relationship with you. That if there's any here that don't know you, that they would come to know you. If there's any here that's maybe started to drift away or backslide, that today's the day that they would recommit, that they would come back to you. If there's any here that's just starting to grow cold, Lord, that today would be the wake-up call for them. Lord, my prayer is every one of us would leave here better than how we come in. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'd move by your sweet Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do here this morning, and we'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. God, we love you. We worship you. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing. I need your help. I can't preach without you. And so, Lord, I'm just asking, give me the words to speak here this morning. Clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. And I'll give you all the glory for it. Have your way and your will. We love you and we worship you. We praise your holy name. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Excuse me just a second. You know, you can learn a lot from a question. It's kind of the opposite of how sometimes you think about it. You think about it, you ask questions to learn. Meaning learning by the answer, right? We ask questions thinking that somebody will give the answer and we can learn, we gain knowledge through the answer that is given. And that's true. But you can also learn a lot from simply the question that is asked. I think this morning that we're going to see what we can learn from, I don't want to say the two most powerful questions in all of Scripture, but maybe, maybe that would be fair to say the two most powerful questions in all of Scripture. Very, If that's not fair to say, it's fair to say this, two very powerful questions that are asked in the scriptures. No, it's not on. Sorry. I'd start over, but I don't know what I said so far. So. <laughs> two very powerful questions. They also happen to be first. That's one thing that drew my attention and it makes it interesting to me. Do you realize in the Bible, right? Genesis is the first book of the Bible. In the Bible, actually the first question that is asked in all of the Bible is, is the serpent. Satan, he asks. It's when he plants his seed of doubt in Eve's mind. That's actually, if you, if you just start looking for question marks... The first question mark you come to is, what is that, in the second verse here? First verse, the end of the first verse of chapter 3. That's when Satan is, is planting the seed of doubt in Eve's mind. But the first question that God asks is actually the second question asked in all of Scripture by anybody. And it's the first one that we have God asking, right? So the first question asked by God in the Old Testament 
is here contained in verse 9, Genesis 3, 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, here's the question, where art thou? Where are you? That is the first question. Now, I think there are three things that we can learn from this, right? There are so many things that can be said. Genesis is, I mean, all of Scripture, of course, is packed full. Genesis, especially these first um, six chapters or so, is packed full of so much stuff. The first chapter maybe contains more than anywhere else in the Scripture. Uh, chapter 2 has got a lot. Chapter 3 and 4, man, it just really unloads a lot when we start talking about what the Bible has to say about man. I have preached so many different sermons, so many different ways. I, rem- I think it was here. It could have been a revival or something. I remember going into detail not that long ago, maybe a few months ago, <coughs> about this whole interchange. And I remember focusing on the point that Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin with their, they made, you know, it says aprons out of fig leaves, right? They tried to make some clothes out of fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And I compared that to, to man's attempt to cover his own sin. You know, how silly and ridiculous it is. Can you imagine going out here and trying to cover your nakedness with some leaves? I don't care how big the leaf is. That's not a very good idea. That's not going to work out very well for you. And it's the same every time man is trying to cover cover his sin, right? It's, that illustrates it perfectly. And I think if I remember right, that's what I emphasize. I've emphasized so many different things because there's so much here at different times. But anyways, I want to bring out this question. Where art thou? I think we can learn a lot from it. There's three specific things I want to quickly go over with you here this morning that you can learn from this first question. First question, you ever think about that? What's the first question God ever asked? Well, we can't answer that, but I can tell you what the first question God ever asked in the Bible is. Where art thou? What can we learn from that? Well, here's the first thing we can learn from that. Here is the beginning of God's pursuit of of sinful man, right? Uh, Just the fact that the first question asked by God, recorded in the Bible, is God searching for fallen man is absolutely amazing to me. And I think if you'll begin to think about it, it'll be amazing to you as well, right? Uh, There is not, listen to me, I'm trying to get at the spiritual truth that we can learn from this. There is not a single person that has ever lived from the beginning of time till to our present time, and it will be the so the same till the end of time, whom that God did not reveal himself to. Right? That, that's what is happening here. God is searching for sinful man uh, in order to reveal himself to man. Here we see God is the one. See, this is something that is so important throughout all of Scripture. It's not just a neat little tidbit fact of history that we're looking at here, but it is so so important to us today and to our salvation today, to how God still operates and works today, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed a bit. How we see Him operating here is still how He operates today. And here we see that God is the one that initiates the salvation process. 
He's searching for sinful man to reveal himself uh, to man, to give man the opportunity for salvation. I asked Randy specifically to read uh, the story about Ezekiel, or not Ezekiel, Zacchaeus this morning because of the last verse that he read. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I think it perfectly illustrates what I'm trying to get at here this morning, what this first question is getting at here, right? Jesus came in and still God coming, revealing himself to the world, revealing himself to mankind, come for the sole purpose to seek and to save that which was lost. We, I'll tell you something, we get off track, and I'm just going to tell you right now, you're off track whenever we get caught up with all these other things that we can get out of, the, out of Christianity, all these other things that we can get out of the gospel, all these other things that we want Jesus to do for us, and listen to me, he does a lot for us, amen, I mean, he's in the healing business, glory to God, he'll bless us, he'll take care of us, he'll do all of these things, but that's not why he come. He didn't come to make your life a little easier, or my life a little easier. He didn't come for all of these things that, really, it's the main thing that we look for from him. You know, it seems like we spend most of our time looking for from him. He come to seek and save that which was lost. He'd look out on the crowds and he'd have compassion. And he'd heal them all and he'd teach them and he'd do things like that. But that's not why he came. That's just something he did while he was here. So the first thing that we see from this question is, here is the beginning of God's pursuit for sinful men. And we can learn from this. God is the one who initiates the process of salvation. It begins. It is God, right? Today it is God through the Holy Spirit and through His Word tapping on your heart, dealing with you, right? It causes you to lay there awake in the middle of the night thinking about some of these things. It is God who initiates the salvation process. Here's the second thing that we learn from this. I call it the sinner's problem, right? Why do I say that? Because one of the biggest problems uh, with this ever-widening gap between man and God is man's own ignorance of his own sin. We were talking in Sunday school about the law. The law was to reveal to you how far, how far short you fall. Without the law, you're ignorant of your own sin and how far you short, how fall, how far you fall short of the glory of God. Listen to me today. Until you're willing to do an honest evaluation of your true condition and confess your need for God. You won't get any help. Right? 
You've got to, I mean, think back to this situation just a minute. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden uh, for just a moment here, right? Uh, the serpent, right, has, uh, has beguiled Eve. Uh, Adam has willingly followed, followed her uh, in sin as well. Uh, and so now they realize that they are naked. They're ashamed of their nakedness. They have tried, that their, represents their sin. They have tried to cover up their nakedness. They've tried to cover their sin. As God approaches in the cool evening, like he had done with them, always had come and done with them, uh, right? They hide from God. They hide, right? They're trying to hide their sin from God. They're trying to hide the state that they're in. And God asks the question of Adam, where art thou? Do you honestly think that God didn't know where Adam was? Do you really think that God showed up there and said, Oh my goodness, what could have happened to Adam? Where did he go? God knew what happened. God knew. What does God not know? God knew where Adam was. He knew where Eve was. He knew what they'd done. He knew what they were trying to do right there in that moment. So why? Why did he ask the question? Where art thou? Where are you, Adam? God wanted Adam to know, to realize where Adam was. I'm not talking about what bush Adam was hiding behind. I'm talking about the mess that Adam had made. Spiritually, he is sin. He is now out of fellowship with God. He needed Adam to look around at the mess that he'd gotten himself into and acknowledge it to God. Adam and Eve had, I mean, they'd made themselves their aprons of fig leaves, but they knew. They knew that they were still naked. Man's best efforts to cover man's sin never works and deep down man knows that no matter how hard you try to hide your sin God still sees it he still knows in the first step right the first step for reconciliation for Adam then is still the same step as it is for us to get saved today is we must look around and we must have the realization the wake up moment right the uh, I forget if it's red pill or blue pill whatever it is where all of a sudden you know and you realize your eyes are open scales fall and you see the mess that you're in and how helpless you are to do anything about it and the best that you can do is no better than the leaves that Adam and Eve tried to use to cover their sin and acknowledge that to God and then the third thing that we learn from this was the price of sin Think about it for a minute. For the first time ever. Do you hear me? For the first time in all of the history of the human race, in the first time of all humanity, in the first time in Adam's life, he's experiencing guilt 
why he's hiding from God, because of the guilt that he feels. He's experiencing guilt. For the first time, he was experiencing shame. The scripture tells us they were ashamed. For the first time, he's experiencing shame. For the first time, he is now aware of his fallen, helpless state. For the first time, Adam was forced to admit that his works, right, what he can do in his own power, uh, was not good enough. Do you realize what a wake-up call, what an earth-shattering shake you to your very core, that is, when you realize for the first time that you are absolutely helpless in everything that you can do and summon with all of your power is not even, doesn't even make a drop in the bucket. For the first time, God had no desire to enjoy the presence of God. You know, so that's one of the big changes between saved, between lost, saved, or look, it's the same thing when you get away from God and you drift away and you get into sin, right? All of a sudden you don't enjoy the presence of God any longer. <clears throat> all of a sudden it's not a I get to go to church and worship it's a I have to because that's what day of the week it is right that, that's the kind of change <clears throat> that happens and takes place there for the first time Adam who was created in the very image of God without sin, for the first time was hiding from his creator. Let me tell you something. The price of sin is steep. It is heavy. And it is not worth it. It is not, it'll cost you everything. And it is not worth it. I promised you two questions. First one, the first question God asks in the Old Testament, where art thou? Now, flip a little over halfway through your Bible to the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. As you skim through the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, you will find the first question in chapter 2, verse 2. And you will find the first question in the New Testament was asked by man. So we have the first question in the Old Testament asked by God. And now we have the first question in the New Testament asked by man. Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. This is the wise men. This is the story of the birth of Christ. This is the wise men who have, uh, we think, come from the 
area of Babylon, right? We, they must have picked up from some writings or something that Daniel and, and, and maybe some of the other prophets when they were in captivity have left there, right? They, we know that they were like maybe magi or something like that. And the scripture just refers to them as wise men. We don't know how many of them they are. We usually depict it and think of it as three, but that's because there's three gifts that are brought. We really don't know how many they are. We don't know much about them. We don't know much of their history. We don't know much of their background. We don't really know what has happened here. But here they are in the New Testament asking the first question. And the first question is, where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews. Of course, they're referring to Jesus. They're referring to the birth of the Christ child. So these two first questions, they present the balance, the truth about a relationship with God. The first question that God asked in the Old Testament reveals God's pursuit of sinful man. Right? Hopefully I've made that clear to you by this point. Now, the first question that man asked in the New, uh, New Testament reveals sinful man's pursuit of God. Do you see that? Do you see the balance of there? God's pursuit of sinful man. Now we have sinful man's pursuit of God. I think the question, this question here, specifically in the New Testament, reveals several key facts about this amazing search for God. You see, before sinful man could even begin to search for God, it was God that initiated that search by revealing himself to man. Right? See, for these wise men to be able to arrive at the conclusion that the star meant something, that it meant something special, I think that's very revealing. I mean, it's one thing to see a star, right? I'm sure if, if these wise men could see it, I'm sure anybody else that looked at the night sky could see that star as well. But it was only this small group of men that went to the trouble to find out what that star meant. I mean, imagine for a second the time (coughs) and the effort that it took to track down the significance of this one star. They didn't have the resources that we have available today. Right? They couldn't Google it. They couldn't download an app at their phone that they hold up to the sky and as they turn and it lines up and tells you what stars this is and what constellation and gives you all kinds of information. They didn't have any of that. They did not. We can find the prophecy of the star in, in the book of Numbers, but they didn't have that. They didn't have the scripture. They may have had the book of Numbers. We can only assume they had something about that. But they didn't have the whole of scripture like we do. I don't know that I could under... I know I couldn't ever understand Balaam's prophecy had I not had the New Testament to explain it to me. They didn't have 
anyone that they could go to like we do today uh, that could go through with the resources that we have today and explain these things to them. They really did not have that much to go on. We, on the other hand, we've got God's full, inerrant revelation of himself that he is the Bible, the word of God. Have you ever thought about these guys? They followed the star to Jerusalem. All the way across the desert. Do you think they knew where they were heading when they left out? I'm not so sure. They knew why they were, where they were going, what they need the star for. That's just logic, that's just reasoning on my part. Can you imagine it? I mean, these fellas, they packed up their camels, they kissed mama and the babies goodbye and said, I don't know when we'll be back. We're going to see the one born king of the Jews. And they went on this journey. And it was a dangerous journey. They carried expensive gifts with them. Well, that would have made them a target for somebody that wanted to, for thieves and things like that. But here, they went on this journey. They followed the star all the way to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they're met with even more obstacles. They are actually, when they get there, they are finally now surrounded by religious people who know a little bit about this one that had been prophesied to be born king of the Jews. Right? They knew a little bit more about the, what the star's meaning. But these religious folks they found in Jerusalem now have no desire to pursue it. They simply tell these wise, these wise men to go and search diligently and when they have found this king to come back and tell them about it. That's it. When I see that I think it's a good thing these wise men didn't rely on somebody else. It is a good thing, right? God begins to reveal himself to fallen men. God has begun to reveal himself uh, in this time here to these men. And it's a good thing that they didn't just, just wait for somebody else to bring God to them. It's a good thing they didn't wait. But instead, they sought God out diligently on their own. Let me just say this. If you're, if you're waiting on something to happen before you're going to actually seek God out and get right with him, stop it right now. That's foolishness. That's nonsense. That's something the devil has convinced you to do, and the end of that is going to be death and destruction. It's not going to work out for you. I cannot count how many times I have talked to people and they say, well, when this happens or that happens or when this person does this or whenever, then I'll get right with God, right? I can't count how many wives that I've talked to that's like, well, I'll start coming to church whenever I can get my husband to come. I really want him to come or, or vice versa, you know, how many people have stayed at home because I can't count how many times people, what I'm trying to get at without being too specific here is Stop waiting on somebody else. God has pursued you and revealed himself to you. It is time for you to diligently seek him 
out. These guys pursued God, and they did not stop until they found him. That's the rest of the Christmas story. I'm not going to get into it. I might preach it later on when we get closer to Christmas. So let me just simply ask you this in closing, and I'm done. In the words of God, where art thou? Where are you at this morning? No, seriously. In your heart, in your relationship. Where are you this morning? I don't think you're here by accident or by mistake. So spiritually, where are you this morning? And then the other half of this equation. And where is he? Where is he that was born king of the Jews? Do you know the answer to these two important questions this morning? You'd better. Eternity hangs in the balance. Amazes me how many people, and I know the more and more as time goes by, who think that let me say it this way. It has become ever increasingly popular to believe in the reality of heaven and deny the existence of hell. Listen to me. The day is coming, it is coming soon, that you will draw your last breath and you will no longer deny the, uh, the existence of either one. It will become all too real to you. There was a rich man who died one time. I don't think he really believed a whole lot in the reality of hell until he, until he found himself there. And then he begged, he begged that God would just send somebody back to his brothers and warn them so they wouldn't make the same mistake that he did. You have somebody standing before you today warning you, warning you. Do not make the mistakes so many before you have made. I'm begging you. Where art thou this morning? Would you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you a chance to come this morning. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come this morning? If you've got a need, if you've got a heavy burden, would you come this morning? Whatever it is here this morning. Maybe the Spirit of God has burdened your heart with somebody. Whatever, I mean, come and pray for them. Don't miss this opportunity. Whatever it may be, would you come?